It's Exodus chapter 32, starting at verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger can burn against them, and I can destroy them. Then I will make you a great nation. But Moses interceded with the Lord, his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your great anger and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel. You swore to them by your very self and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised, and they will inherit forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster. He said he would bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing, engraved on the tablets. When Joseph heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, It's not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. As he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up and ground it to powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. The second reading tonight comes from 1 John chapter 5 on page 1122. Beginning at verse 14. Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, 
that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the big question that we're asking today is, does prayer actually work? Does prayer really do stuff? I've noticed in recent, in wake of the recent terror attacks, that many of our world leaders will say uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. I wonder if they actually think that their prayers do stuff, make a difference, or whether or not they just feel like it's too trite to say we're thinking of you. Uh, I've been thinking about some of the prayers that I've been praying this week. I've been praying for a person called Anna. I don't know Anna. Uh, she is the friend of a mum at Tommy's tennis camp uh, who I found out has uh, terminal cancer and has been given months to live. So I'm praying for her. I'm praying for a, an orphanage in India that I know nothing about and uh, it was under threat from being closed down by the government and we're invited at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night to be praying and interceding uh, for that orphanage and the children there. Uh, on Wednesday night, we spent an hour and a half at our central prayer meeting praying to God, does it do anything? Will it make a difference? Uh, we're all aware probably of that, that sense of peace that comes over us as we pray. You know, the peace of God that rests in our heart. But we're not necessarily interested in the peace in our hearts. We want to know what difference it will make for the people we pray for. We want to know what will change in them and their lives as we pray. Well, here, as we ask that question, we have an account of a man standing before God, asking him to do something. And what happens? Chapter 32, verse 14. So the Lord relented. The Lord relented at the prayers of Moses. Well, I know, but Moses, is, he's a spiritual heavyweight. You know, he's a big name in the Bible. So you can imagine God answering him. But what about us? What about you and me? Will God really listen to our prayers? Will he really do stuff when we pray? Well, as you remember from our memory verse, now this is the confidence we have before him. Anything we ask in, oh, now I've forgotten it, haven't I? Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John five fourteen. And now, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked him for. So, as we learn from the prayer life of Moses today, the big idea that I want you to take, the big idea is this, that as we intercede in prayer for others before God, it really works. It really, really works. And my prayer is that you and I will be inspired and equipped to be people who pray intercessory prayers on behalf of others. To do that, we're going to do three things. We're going to think about what is inter intercessory prayer and who is it for. Then we're going to think about the prayer that Moses prays. And we're going to see that in his intercessory prayer, he comes before the presence of God. He brings the needs of others before God's presence and it changes God, it changes him, and it changes them. 
And then lastly, we're going to think about just four practical tips on how we could grow as intercessory prayers. So our first thing we're thinking about today, point one, what is intercessory prayer and who is it for? Now, there's no sort of like tight New Testament category for intercessory prayer. But if you imagine that petitionary prayer is praying to God, asking him to for the things that we need for ourselves, then intercessory prayer is simply praying to God on behalf of others for him to give the things that they need to them. There's a, a, a pointedness or an urgency to intercessory prayer because to be an intercessor is to, to mediate between two different parties. So imagine uh, the tragic situation where a, a husband and a wife come to the point where they decide that they're going to split up. Uh, let's say that the wife has had an affair and, uh, and she refuses to say sorry to her husband. Uh, the husband is, is heartbroken and he can't find it within himself to forgive. And so the, the husband and the wife call their daughter in before them and they share with her the, the sad, tragic news that mum and dad are splitting up. And as the daughter hears this news, her heart is just riled up. She, she doesn't want to choose between mum and dad. She, she doesn't want to see this terrible thing happen. And so she begins to intercede. She, she pleads with her mum. She says, mum, just say sorry. And dad, please, dad, please forgive mum. And as this daughter asks her mum to repent... And her dad, to relent, she's interceding between these two parties. Well, in a similar way, when we intercede in prayer, we are standing between God and men. God and people that we love. But if you've been reading your Bible for a while, you know that there is only one intercessor. There's only one mediator, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who stands between God and men. And that's absolutely right. Interestingly, in a, uh, a passage in, two Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, where, God, where Paul the Apostle speaks about Jesus being that one mediator, he also says this at the start of the verse. He says, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Yes, Jesus is the only mediator. He is the only person who can stand between us and God. But since he's done that, you and I, we can be part of that. We can represent him and we can do that through our prayers. So God commands that we pray for others. God commands that we bring others' needs before him. And you know, maybe that's all you need to hear about this morning. Maybe that's all you need to know, that God commands you to bring before him the needs of others. You need to expand your prayer life to include more than just the realms of your day-to-day existence. But why do we pray for others? Well, here's the remarkable theological truth. Theological just means God thought. Here's the remarkable God thought that I want us to wrestle with this morning. I want us to get our head around because God has chosen that our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, the little things we utter before him when no one's watching, God has ordained 
that our prayers will be part of the way that he works out his purposes in the world. Wow. The God of heaven uses your prayers to do his work on earth. Children, did you know that when you come before God in family prayer time, you are doing God's work? I think about the Yorston family prayer time. I have Matilda trying to climb over my shoulders and jump over my head. I've got Tommy trying to kick George. And we are doing God's work. We probably need to raise the bar a little, don't we? We need to remember what a powerful thing we're doing. God has told us that our prayers are part of the way that he works out his purposes. What a privilege and what a gift. So kids, when you're praying with mum and dad, let's make sure that those prayers, you're bringing big things before God because he will work through those prayers. Prayer is a great privilege and prayer is a huge responsibility. So who is intercessory prayer for? Anyone who knows the God of heaven as their heavenly father through trusting in Jesus Christ. I hope that you have friends who aren't Christian. And I hope that those friends who aren't Christian do ask you to pray for things. And it would be right, it is absolutely right, that they ask you to pray to God on their behalf. Because when they come before God in prayer, it's like an enemy soldier standing before a foreign king begging for mercy. When you come before God in prayer, it's like a little child walking into their father's lounge room, sitting on his lap and whispering your requests in his ear. It is categorically different and you have that privilege of bringing the needs of others before your great and glorious God. So intercessory prayer is asking God for the needs of others and it's for everyone who trusts in Jesus and knows God as Father. So let's turn our attention to Moses' intercessory prayer. Uh, It's in Exodus chapter 32. I would love it if you have it open in front of you. It's on page 78 of your black Bibles. And I've come up with a a little three-point definition of Moses' intercessory prayer that we'll use to help guide us through. That is that intercessory prayer is entering before the presence of God, bringing before God the needs of others, and it changes God, them, and us. So we're going to make our way through these as we look at Moses' prayer. So point A, in prayer we enter into the presence of God. As we picked up uh, the story of Moses in verse 7, do you remember where Moses was? He's on the mountaintop. He's surrounded by the presence of God, hearing the audible voice of God. Meanwhile, Moses' brother Aaron is down in the camp. He's busy. He's getting on with the day-to-day business of life, running things, chasing around. And there, down in the camp... Aaron, Moses' brother, is led astray into making an idol for the people of Israel to bow down and worship. Aaron looks at the situation and he thinks, oh, it's not all bad. The people are excited. They're pumped about it. So he makes this, uh, he makes this, assess- uh, sorry, this announcement, chapter 32, verse 5. 
There's going to be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Let's turn this into something good about God. But it's in God's presence that Moses discovers what's really going on. Take a look at the verdict of God on what's happening in the camp. 32 verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses. Go down at once, for the people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. And God makes an even more scathing assessment in 32 verse 9. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Maybe you don't spend much time in God's presence, and therefore you probably aren't that, not that aware of people's real, true needs. Uh, by that, I mean that you find yourself just praying for sick people to get better and people who are having job interviews to get the job. There are many ways to enter into the presence of God. We are in the presence of God as we gather in his name. We can hear God speak as we open his Bible. We can be in God's presence as we sit quietly before him in prayer. And it's in those places that we become aware of the true needs of people. We become aware of, uh, of our brothers and sisters' needs to trust God in the midst of their sickness, to hold fast to him and be unwavering in their faith, to not grumble or complain uh, as they go through this season of hardship. It's in the presence of God uh, that, that we might uh, hold out, sorry, that we, we might see that a brother or sister who has fallen into you know, what, what were the Israelites' issues here? They had fallen into idolatry. That, that they might not idolize the things before them. So you might think about a person going for, be praying for a friend with a job interview. Uh, in the presence of God, you might be aware of their need to not idolize their work, to enjoy it as a good gift, but keep God as the first love in their heart. Uh, the sins that Israel had fallen into in this moment were the sins of idolatry, the sins of impatience, the sins of revelry and drunkenness and sexual immorality. If you see a brother or sister in those places, enter into the presence of God, become aware of their needs, and bring them before God. What did Moses do to enter into the presence of God? Well, he set up a tent of meeting where he would go and meet with God. Take a look at chapter 33, verse 7. Chapter 33, verse 7, over the page. Moses took a tent and he set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And what happened in that tent? Verse 11, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Where is your meeting place with God? Where do you go to be in God's presence? For Jesus, it was the very early morning. It was the side of the mountain. We learned on Wednesday night at our central prayer meeting about the prayer life of Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles. She had 19 children, and she would hide under her apron and told her children that when she was under her apron, she was in the presence of God praying and not to be interrupted. I... I come into the presence of God by going for a walk. I walk the same route so I don't have to think where I'm going. 
And as I walk, I come before God in prayer. Where is it that you go to be still before God, to come into his presence and to to consider who God is and how you are worshipping him? It was in God's presence that Moses became aware of his people's needs. And it was in God's presence that Moses stayed to intercede, to plead his people's cause. That's point B. Uh, Intercessory prayer is bringing the needs of others before God. I'm interested back in chapter 32 at the defiance of Moses, bold defiance of Moses before God. Take a look at God's instruction in verse 10. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't leave. He stays put and he places himself between God and his people. Verse 11, but Moses interceded with the Lord his God. Moses pleads his people's case on the basis of two very good grounds. Grounds that are great reasons for you and I to pray. That is, God's character and God's promises. They are the grounds for our confidence in prayer. So not long after this, Moses had an amazing encounter where he was invited by God, where he asked God to see his glory. And God invited him to come up the mountain and God would pass in front of him and God would declare his name in in Moses' presence. Come and have a look with me at how God describes his own name in, uh, and character in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is wonderful grounds to fuel your prayers, to remind you of who it is that you're coming before God. I'm going to have a go at this. I used to memorize this and pray it uh, before each time I would uh, come before God on a prayer walk. Exodus 32, verses 6 and 7. I learned this in the NIV, so it'll be a, a bit, bit of a different translation. Yahweh, Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, maintaining love and faithfulness to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. In God's name, in who God is, we have wonderful grounds for prayer. Moses says, God, I know that you are absolutely right to judge these people. They deserve justice. But I know that it is in your nature, God, to be merciful and kind. And so he begs for mercy for God's people. He also prays, on the basis of God's promises. He, he holds God's promises before God's face. And in verse 13, he says, uh, sorry, we're back on chapter 32. Verse 13, he says, God, how would destroying your people be in line with your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that you would make their offspring numerous and that you would give their offspring the promised land? John Calvin calls prayer digging up the treasures that are promised to us in Scripture. Digging up the treasures that are promised to us in Scriptures. So if you see a brother or sister caught in sin like Israel was, 
You could intercede with them on their behalf. You could ask God to be true to his promise that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. You could ask God to be true to his promise that as a father, he disciplines those he loves and ask God to discipline them. You could pray that the spirit who lives in them, who is greater than the spirit of the world and the spirit of the evil one, would help them overcome their sin. But interceding for others in prayer like this, it is costly. It's hard work. Have a look at 32 verse 32, where Moses puts himself on the line. 32 verse 32, Moses prays this. Now if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. After this, Moses went back up the mountain and he spent 40 days and 40 nights interceding on his people's behalf. It says that he did so without food or water. Every fortnight in my uh, weekly Bible study hive group, uh, we have a member of our group share their story of how they became a Christian and how they stayed a Christian. Well, uh, recently, one of the members of our group shared her story. Uh, when she was 16, she'd fallen in love with a 24-year-old bikie, much to her parents' disapproval. And so uh, one night, she and this bikie boyfriend decided that they would rendezvous in the middle of the night and run away to start their own life together. And so as, um, as this young 16-year-old lay in bed, she tossed and she turned in her sleep. She tossed and she thought about how exciting this new life was going to be with this man on his Harley riding through the streets. And then she turned the other way and think about the sadness of leaving her family that she loved. Well, as she tossed and she turned, she fell asleep. And she woke up in the morning and she'd missed her rendezvous. And these were the days before mobile phones, so there was nothing she could do about it. And she went out into the kitchen and she found her mum looking absolutely haggard, like she hadn't slept a wink. And she later found out that her mum had spent the whole night pleading with God in prayer to protect her daughter, to guard her and hold fast to her. Her mum had interceded on her behalf. Well, point C, intercessory prayer works because it changes God, it changes others, and it changes us. The most surprising words that I find in this story come in chapter 32, verse 14. Verse 14, so the Lord, after Moses prayed, relented. He relented concerning the disaster he had uh, He had. Um, said he would bring. Did Moses' prayer actually change the mind and will of God? Well, when I use the word change for God, I do so with inverted commas and I use it loosely uh, because it's not as if God hadn't thought of the possibility that maybe he couldn't destroy them. He, he didn't, wasn't surprised by Moses' suggestion. That's a good idea, Moses. Maybe I won't do that. Uh, he wasn't taken by surprise. But the God who we know, the God who knows the end from the beginning, and the God who has a 
every one of the days of our lives before one of them came to be, he has done this remarkable thing. He has decided that as he works out his purposes in your and my life in the whole world, one of the means and the ways that he will do that is through your prayers. Isn't that powerful? God will use your prayers to do his work. Put simply, when we pray, God does things. If we don't, he won't. Prayer is powerful work. Every day when I get home from work, I get asked by Bridgie, how was your day? I don't know about you, but I normally assess the success of a day on how many meetings I had, uh, how many tasks I accomplished, how many emails I got through. I never consider the work that I've done before God in prayer, praying for you and praying for our church. Wednesday was a great day. I did heaps. I prayed in the morning and I came to the central prayer meeting in the afternoon. I was busy doing the work of God. And brothers and sisters, you can do that work too. We do the work of God as we come before God in prayer. Well, prayer also changes those we pray for. Moses' prayer saved the lives of the Israelites. And often when people share their testimony of how they became a Christian, they have discovered at some point along the road that they had a family member or a friend who prayed for them for 6, 8, 15, 32 years to become a Christian. And now they have been changed. But prayer is a work of faith. That is, we see it, God sees it, but we don't necessarily always see what it does. There are out there brothers and sisters who one day, when God reveals everything done in secret and brings it out into the open, you're going to discover that there's people sitting behind and in front of you who were praying for you to be transformed. You will see that work and thank you to those who do that work of God, praying for one another and interceding on others' behalves. Well, prayer changes things, changes those we pray for. It is a work of faith. We may not see it till glory, but it is working. And also prayer changes us. After 40 days and 40 nights of physical neglect up on the mountain with God in his presence, Moses comes down from the mountain to his people And his face was radiating with the glory of God. He didn't know. It was a gift that God had given him. And he was emanating God's presence to God's people. When we spend time in the presence of God, we begin to relate to people with a spiritual edge uh, that enables people to encounter God in and through us. Like my friend Patrick He would always be praying for me, and then he would send me a Bible verse of something he'd prayed for me. And it it just used to come at the exact time that I was about to compromise or do something. He would send a reminder that God is faithful. Never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. And it would prompt me to hold fast to God and keep trusting. Well, let's conclude with four quick practical tips on how we can grow as intercessory prayers. Our final point. I've taken these ideas from a very helpful resource I've come across as I ran the Alpha course here at church. It's the Alpha Prayer course. You could find it by just Googling Alpha Prayer course. And they've got four great uh, tips from some of their little 15-minute videos on prayer. The first idea is get informed. 
There is never nothing to pray about. Get to know the people that you're around. Get to know the needs of those that you, that you hang out with. Know their needs. Maybe you could pick up one of our July prayer diaries from the back of church. That's a great way to keep you informed. That's July. That's a great way to keep you informed in your prayers. So get informed in what to pray about. Next is get inspired. Take a look at those Alpha Prayer videos. Uh, Memorize God's name from Exodus chapter 34. Remember who the God is that you're praying to, and that will prompt you and move you to prayer. The third is get indignant. This is an interesting one. Interestingly, you might remember that God asked Moses, God, why do you get angry? Why are you so angry at your people? And then as Moses walks down the mountain and he sees God's people doing what they're doing, Moses is furious. He smashes the tablets and he, and he gets indignant, filled with God's anger. Brothers and sisters, ask God to break your heart for the things that break his heart. Praying that exact prayer was the thing that helped the man who founded World Vision get started with that work. He asked God to open his eyes to the things that breaked his heart. And he has founded this organization that's transformed the lives of literally millions of children in our world. And then lastly, get together. Prayer can be hard work. So get together with others and you will find yourself praying for things that you never would have thought to pray for on your own. You will be inspired to keep praying. You'll be inspired to make it a priority, to schedule it and to get praying and doing the work of God. So does prayer work? You bet it does. You bet it does. As we intercede in prayer for others before God, we enter into the presence of God. We bring their needs before him, and it transforms. It transforms God's work, you, and it transforms them. Well, we're going to have an opportunity now to do this work of God in prayer. We're going to pray for the needs of one another. We're going to pray for needs that maybe you weren't aware of, but someone else has been carrying. Children, you might not feel that comfortable standing up and praying in a big, loud voice in front of everyone. But you might have something you know that mum and dad need to pray for. You could maybe tell them or invite them to lead us in prayer for those things. We're going to come before God in that time of open prayer. It's a chance for anyone to lead us in prayer. Just stand up, use a big voice so we can all pray along with you. And at the end, our musicians will close us in song. To begin that time, we're going to pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, and then it's over to us to lead one another. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's not on the screen, so perhaps if if you know it, let's pray that prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.